невозможно жить. Он образил себя Наполеоном. Welcome to God is Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we are going to be looking at a very common Calvinist proof text, which is Acts 2, 23. And this is talking about Jesus being delivered up and crucified according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. This is used often in debates. I heard it just tonight in a back and forth about the problem of evil, which uh, Drew McLeod was on. It's some sort of open panel. And this is one of their verses. See, this thing here, this evil was predestined by God to, from timeless eternity, things like that. But let's look at the context. Let's, let's realize that we are in the book of Acts. And what's the purpose of Acts? Acts is written to new believers within the first century, gives them some sort of uh, continuing history after the Gospels, which will... Uh, alleviate some of their fears, give them some sort of sense of where the religion is at now, and acts famously as a, an apologetic for the Apostle Paul. Saying, hey, Paul is one of us. He's teaching these things that we don't quite understand, but he really is one of us, and we should be treating him authoritatively. This is the apology for Paul. So with those concepts in mind, we could kind of put ourselves in their mindset. What are they thinking there? They're, they're in an age where there's not very much communication, not very much information. All you're getting is these fragmented letters. If you do get any letters, uh, how, how does your faith grow? How does it develop? Uh, who's your channels for information? Who's your channels for teaching? This is the context of how these letters are being written. In what sense, what idea that they are being penned? So Acts 2 finds us in the middle of Pentecost. And the disciples are gathered together and all the Jews from all over the world have come and congregated in Jerusalem. And so there's this thing where there's fire on their heads and everyone hears them speaking their own language because Judaism was multicultural back then. And so Jews were coming from all sorts of different countries doing this migration back to the holy city for this festival and then they're hearing in their native language these are these are all jews this this is not a gentile crowd and so they're non-believers as well these are people who are who are normal jews uh, believe in normal judaism old testament theology they don't accept jesus as the messiah as the christ they're non-believers and there's a sermon that's given to them peter's sermon at pentecost and this is the context of the famous phrase. Peter is trying to convince non-believing Jews of something that he wants them to believe. And remember, overall, this is in the context of this letter is assuring first century Christians of the truth, validity of Christianity, of, of their hope. It's giving them hope for the future. And so let's read what he says. Let's scroll down. It's a salvation call. He says, starting in verse 21, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's something they're not going to disagree with. The men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Look at this argumentation strategy. He says, you guys were here. You saw Jesus do all these miracles. Jesus is definitely a prophet or a mediator or affiliated with God in some sense. 
you you know that he's from God based on what you yourself saw. And what's that telling the readers? That there's all these people alive that saw all these miracles and attested to all these miracles, so they should be extra assured. He's citing the critics of Christianity as witnesses for Christianity. Here's what he says. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So what's going on here? The Calvinists will read this. They'll see certain words that they like. They like God planning things. Uh, they're very keen. Anytime the foreknowledge comes up, we scroll down and you got a foresaw being used in Acts 2.31. And then a couple chapters later, in Acts 4, a very similar statement happens with predestined. And so it's all the Calvinist buzzwords that they have latched onto since forever. These are their proof texts. They see these, these words and they say, these are our words. We could talk about this text. This text means our theology. But let's go back to other ideas, how those words are normally used when in conjunction with mankind. When, when they're used about men, they don't mean what the Calvinists claim that these words mean. They just mean normal things. Foreknowledge. The Jews had foreknowledge of Paul. Within Acts itself, it talks uses the word foreknowledge in conjunction with Paul. This is Paul talking. He's talking about the Jews, still in the same book of Acts. The author's probably using the same word in the same way uh, on various chapters. He says this. This is Paul talking, being quoted by the author of Acts. My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all Jews. They have known me for a long time. Literally, it's prognostico from the beginning. They foreknew me from the beginning. Again, if this phrase, if this was God foreknowing Paul from the beginning, it'd be used as, <laughs> they would skip Acts 2.22. They would go straight to this verse and say, hey, look here. Paul is foreknown from the beginning. This is talking about the beginning of time, and this foreknowledge is being familiar with propositions, something like that. Not what's going on here at all. This word is being used differently. It's being used as someone had a relationship with Paul at a prior time that you could think back and remember your prior relationship. So let's jump forward again back to our Acts 2. Remember, what's the concerns? The concerns in the early church is, <laughs> is Christianity the true religion? And you have books like Hebrews coming out defending Jesus's place within Christianity. So what's going on here? It says, men of Israel, and he goes through this argument, Jesus is associated with God. You can't be denying Jesus if you're a God-fearer. His next verse plays into this, that Jesus is delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So they had a prior relationship, and this is in accordance with that relationship. The cross did not subvert Jesus's ministry. This cross did not subvert Christianity. He's assuring the readers and a skeptical Jews in the audience of this speech that the cross was not a subversion of the messianic promises, that the cross plays into it. And guess what? Uh, Bart Ehrman also shares this opinion. Let's go to me asking him about this. This is back uh, 2017, I said. I don't know if this is the proper place to put the question, but what is your take on this passage? Him being delivered up by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death. 
Was the author introducing divine determinism or exhaustive foreknowledge, or was he stating that God was just fulfilling his plans? So I was trying not to be leading with the question. He responds, I think he's simply, this is Bart Ehrman, I think he is simply saying that this is all going according to plan. It doesn't appear that he has thought rigorously about the problem of determinism and free will. Yeah, think about that. What would determinism do for this verse? What would determinism do for the audience? What, what would it do for uh, the audience of Peter and the audience of the author of Acts? Saying, hey, this is a fated event. Hey, men, guess what? This was fated. And then you crucified and killed in the hands of lawless men. Hey, you got you guys are lawless, right? But you're fated to do that. It doesn't seem to be what he's talking about. Instead, he's saying that the cross was not a subversion of God's plan. And Jesus had a personal relationship with God. This is not a subversion. This is not something that's going against what God intended. This is not God being thwarted by earthly authorities. God was able to use this to his ends. And what is his ends? <laughs> Guess what? It's resurrection. He preaches resurrection down in Acts 2.31. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. And he's talking about King David. In this context, he's saying this was the plan all along. Some sort of resurrection. It was foreshadowed, foresaw, foretold by David and this is in the context of David talking about himself in his own flesh, but it's repurposed and purposed towards Jesus. This resurrection was promised us. This crucifixion went towards fulfilling this resurrection. This did not thwart God. This, this did not defeat God. Our Messiah is a risen Messiah, and he was not destroyed by the cross. At this point, I don't think the author of Acts has a very developed uh, cross theology, theory of atonement. Instead, it is painted as a deed done by people with lawless hands. It's, it's a criminal act, and he doesn't talk about atonement theory here. Instead, it's about the resurrection, a very important, important aspect of Christianity. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15, and you can see how heavily resurrection theory, theology, weighs on Christianity. So let's read this again. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, being given over to, delivered up, the word here is uh, used in like marriages, and things like that being delivered over, given out of God's power to the power of men, delivered up according to the plan and uh, the relationship that Jesus had with God. You crucified and you killed by the hands of lawless men. This is not switching from determinism to free will. He's saying you guys did something bad. You guys are culpable for this. You didn't thwart God. God was able to use it for his goals, but it's not a good thing. It's, it's an it's a evil act. I think very much this uh, resembles Joseph being sold into slavery. And when we look at uh, the interpretation of that, what they purposed for evil, the brothers purposed for evil, God purposes for good. And the word there used is weaved or crafted. Evil people are crafting evil things. God uses those evil things to go about and getting his will done. Probably the same concept going on 
in Romans 8, which God is working together with us to make all things good for us. So down here in Acts 2.31, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection. King David did this. This foresaw, that might be more of a word that they'd probably want to look for for an idea of predestination or prophecy. You see this word being used for the scripture foretelling that something's going to happen in the future. Something that you could look back on in the scripture and say, hey, this was prophesized. This was foretold. Skipping down to Acts 4, this is kind of the same situation, except for now we are in prayer. They are praying to God, but they're communicating something to the audience of Acts. And what are they communicating to the audience of Acts? That the cross was not a subversion of the hope of Christianity. The cross is not proof that Christianity is false. In fact, the opposite. The cross is evidence of Christianity being true. It, it, it's... It's an interesting subversion going on here within uh, the Christianity. So this is a prayer to God. It's interesting. It says, The kings of the earth set themselves and rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in the city were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, who you anointed, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, along with Gentiles, peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan predestined to take place. Remember, this word predestined, when we look at it when it's used for humans, it just means specified at the time we're talking about. When Jesus specified blood relations and the Jews did not specify blood relation, or the Jews specified blood relations and Jesus specified your neighbor in response to the question, who is your neighbor? That just means they declared at the time the question was asked. And so this plan here could be a contemporary plan to Herod and Pontius Pilate. That's probably what this word means, that they're doing whatever God decided to do at that time to fulfill his purposes. It's more of a dynamic idea. And remember, in Calvinism, in classical theism, there is no foreknowledge, there is no predestination, because all of those are time-bound words. If you look at Bavink, he says, technically, there's no such thing as predestination. Before that would assume that God is in time and has some sort of knowledge before that event. Yet those, those categories just don't apply at all. So only in open theism do you get predestination and foreknowledge. But it's not this timeless, eternal uh, calling out into the void thing like the Calvinists would have you, have you think. It's more of a happened previously, typically during the event that we are talking about. And so nothing wrong with that. Uh, the Herod and Pontius Pilate did not thwart God. This is the point of this. Why is it in a prayer to God? Probably to tell the reader of Acts that uh, Christianity has not been subverted by the cross. Probably what's going on there. Anyways, questions or comments, put that down below. We'll start a thread on the God is Open Facebook page. Thank you for listening.